Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing? Reinvigorated. Uh, okay. All right. I mean, it's still not in the best mood. I know I've been, it's right. been an ongoing thing lately, but we took a week off. We did. Which we'll get to in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, had a, I had a, a lovely Thanksgiving dinner with my girlfriend's family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we went, um, we had a, a wine tasting weekend. We took the dog. This is the first mm-hmm. of our, we go a few times a year to wine country. There's various wine countries around Los Angeles. We go and do some wine tasting, you know, stay for a weekend. What have you, you stated your dog's name on the air? I forget. I don't want to. Oh, it's Jack. It's Jack. Okay. Yes. Just I don't know if sure. I have or not, but okay. it's Jack. Um, uh, and, and, and this is the first one we've been on since we got Jack. And so we found a dog friendly hotel down there in Temecula and went to some dog friendly wineries. Most of, most of them are dog friendly to one extent or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a blast and it was, uh, very relaxing. Okay. And then I saw flight. Oh, all right. Which was not relaxing. Oh, I'm but, sorry. Um, uh, decent. Oddly enough, over this weekend, uh, Jen and I watched Castaway. Huh. Very strange. What a weird coincidence. I, I wa- <clears throat> Pardon me. I want to rewatch Castaway after watching Flight because I still think Castaway is my favorite Zemeckis film. But uh, you and I have talked about this. Like I, I, I instinctively, I, I mean, I love Castaway. Like in watching it again, it's just man, I, I think it's amazing. But a part of me is just instinctively just like, well, I mean, it can't be Castaway, right? It ha- like my favorite <laughs> has to be something else, and it's probably between. Who Framed Roger Rabbit oh, that is and Castaway. Yeah, that is a good one. Um, but w- watching Flight... Now, I, what I, 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 it reminded me of The Wrestler in the sense that it's a movie that I think, to me, is more memorable for having a, a just fantastic lead performance yeah. than actually being a good movie. Okay. Um, and I actually... I was talking about this with my girlfriend on the way home from the movie... I, was, I think Flight overall is a better movie than The Wrestler. She said The Wrestler was better, but agreed with my general premise. But um, there's still these things about Zemeckis, and I'm starting to feel like a broken record here, but uh, I think about him so much because I think he's like, I feel like he's so close to being a great filmmaker and he has these crutches that he falls back on. Yeah. If that's a mixed metaphor, I'm not sure. Um, that, that really bother me. And there's just, uh, as like sort of, like honest and realistic um and and just uh brutally straightforward as flight is for most most of the time mm-hmm. there's still these moments that he can't seem to help himself from where it just, everything just becomes very movieish you know there's there's uh this isn't you know um uh, a spoiler unless you're incredibly sensitive but there's another like you know Denzel Washington plays an alcoholic. There's also a drug addict character in the movie they, they, mm-hmm. they meet as they're sort of recovering or what have you, or attempting to. Um, and we meet her. She's been given this very strong heroin and been specifically told, don't shoot this, you know, smoke it or whatever, yeah. you know, don't shoot this. And then she gets home and she has a fight with her landlord and she goes to throw her bag on the table and she knocks off this like box that's on the table, this like cigar box full of stuff. And it goes into slow motion and a syringe like tumbles out of the box and it like zooms in on the syringe and then like zooms in on her eye and it's like way That's, way overdone uh, <laughs> again now i've not seen flight so this is just based on your description which of course is uh unfair unfair and <laughs> hyperbolic uh but uh that sounds silly yeah and that there are moments and that's uh, my problem with Zemeckis, it goes back to the Back to the Future thing and the like it, it, you know built the time machine out of a DeLorean that, that those kind of like little moments that just feel so 
now false and constructed. F- uh, false, I'll, get, I'll give you. That, mm-hmm. that, that line, though, you and I have said we, we don't care for that type of humor. Mm-hmm. That's more just like lazy comedy than just right, right, it right. being movie-ish. But it's the kind of thing that you'll find in a movie, yeah. very much so. And, um, and Forrest Gump, which is also, I think, a movie that I'm very torn on, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Uh, and that one I have rewatched recently. And it has just shots and even some sequences that are just inspired and beautiful and gorgeous Mm -hmm. and then it has all this crap like you know where it's like uh just overly sappy or just swinging for the fences when it should be sort of playing it close to the vest well and even castaway has some of those things that's what i'm wondering because i haven't seen it in so long and yet somehow like he's a filmmaker who i would say and Forrest Gump is a good example of this as well. Um, I can just picture a conversation that he's having with somebody else. It could even be himself in which somebody's saying like, uh, Robert, Bobby, Mr. Z, uh, <laughs> that's how they would say it. Um, there, you can't have this many coincidences. Like the, you, you can't have the, there, there's so much convenience in your movies uh, like, why do you, you know, in the same way that like, it's like, don't shoot it. And then she throws her bag. And of course, right. The syringe falls, uh-huh. you know, uh, the, the, uh, of course, Forrest Gump would be the person responsible for Nixon getting in trouble. It just, <laughs> that's what I think, uh, or getting caught specifically. Uh, and of course, every single thing in those FedEx boxes is useful. Every single thing. Now, it, one could say, well, abstract thinker, mm-hmm. you know, and so yeah, he's yeah. making them useful. But fishnet stockings. <laughs> fishnet. Yeah. I'm going to need to catch some fish. Thank God there's a fishnet oh, yeah. in there. Stuff like that. Uh, but that's. But there's something about Castaway. I don't know what it is. It might be because it's a film... Co- that is one perf- it's a performance mm-hmm. like unlike say the wrestler which is not Zemeckis but or uh, flight which are movies that are built around one performance but there are other characters and mm-hmm. there are things he's trying to uh, explore uh, castaway is that character everything is an extension of that character which is why w- when there are moments of convenience it doesn't seem like convenience it seems like a character making the best of it and being resourceful for some I think it, I think that is the key difference, and that's what makes Castaway, which is really, in many ways, from a filmic standpoint, no different than these other movies. But that's what makes that one work. Um, but I do want to see Flight. I, I yeah, and uh, he's he's a, Denzel Washington is amazing in it, and that's uh, great. That's great to hear. He's, he's got a, a bunch of other great performances, and you know, John Goodman is an actor when he's allowed to just have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I thought he was having fun in Argo. There's not much there, but I think he's having fun. Yeah, yeah, but he I mean, he really gets to go all out. Is he's like the, he's the drug dealer um, uh, in 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 flight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but think of him as like in his role in Oh Brother Where Art Thou, where he just gets to be like oh yeah out there and weird. He he's one of the most fun actors to just watch like go loose and and have fun. I can anyway, see that. This is not a conversation I expected to have. Sorry about flight. No, I I I have thoughts on movies. I like to talk about them. That's kind of why we have a podcast. Um, <clears throat> that brings me to my other thing. Well, first, okay, here's the first thing. 
tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. That's where you go for professional professional quality earbuds at uh, at an affordable price to begin with at, at tweakedaudio.com. You add that slash pretension to the end of your URL. You go through that portal, and uh, you get a third off and free shipping on any of their uh, wide variety of styles and colors. And, you know, we can't endorse these things enough. Now, David, as of... It's a cool name. We don't talk about that very often. What's that? Tweaked Audio. Tweaked Audio, yeah. I like saying it. I like that little K sound in the middle. Tweaked. Tweaked. If you say it too quick, it sounds like you're saying tweak taudio, which sounds weird because it's not a real thing. Um, Now, David, uh, as of right now... You're looking at your watch. I'm looking at my watch, which has the date on it. That's the key. Uh, It is November 29th. Okay. 2012. 2012. Thank you. Uh, Why am I thanking you for that? Uh, (laughs) But by the time this airs, we're in December. Yeah. Christmas time. That's One right. could say it's Christmas time now. A lot of people do say that. Yeah, I just went. I went and got my fake Christmas tree from storage. Is that right? And I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna put it up tonight. Uh, but yeah, um, and you know, when I go, I've already done a lot of Christmas shopping. I've gone online, and uh, and when I see, hey, look at this a little discount here on whatever it is that I'm getting, and uh, free shipping as well. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Hard how am I how am I not going to do it? Hard I can't to resist. Resist. Yeah. Christmas time, tweaked audio, 20, uh, 30, 30% off. 33%, 33% off. It's Thank you. One, one third, third off. off. Yes. And free shipping. I like that you just did like an, uh, like an infomercial thing. Yeah. Not 20, not 30, <laughs> 33% off. <laughs> not 35, don't get greedy. <laughs> um, but yeah, and free shipping and uh, their quality, uh, quality earbuds. Yeah, professional quality. Professional quality. That's and what we're so, about. yeah, we highly recommend you get them for someone that you love because this will show them that you love them. I can't think of any other way to communicate that. Um, that's right. Tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. Mm-hmm. So we didn't do an episode last week. We did not. Um, you were in the Dominican Republic. Is I was. It, did you want to talk about that today? Uh, I will talk about it very briefly. Okay. I will, at the very least, I will talk about it insofar as uh, apologizing for being, and it might have come through already. I'm a little punchy uh, in this episode. That's, that's when we're at, we're at our best. Is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, we skipped a week, and I'm punchy, and I'm on, and I'm. There's no question. I'm still on Dominican Republic time. What uh, time is it in Dominican Republic? It is. You li- you, I mean, when you say you're on Dominican Republic time, literally your wristwatch is set to Dominican Republic time. It is. Thing? Yeah, I like that. So I can always think like, ah, oh, what's it like there? And just poolside, you know, poolside. Oh, absolutely. Okay, but it's uh, four hours later there. And oh, so, wow. David, while I don't know what it is. When I'm at home, I go to bed super late. Uh-huh. When I'm on vac- when I'm on vacation, twelve thirty. I'm out. I'm I'm wow. I'm passed out. I don't mean I lay down and then I toss and turn for uh, five hours. Uh-huh. I mean I am out at twelve thirty. Wow. I don't know why. See, Maybe it's because I, I wake up at seven a.m. Yeah. What is with that? I have no idea. Twelve thirty so. is what time I try to go to bed mm-hmm. regularly. I yeah. don't. I can never get to bed by twelve thirty. Right. It's usually more like one thirty or two. But that's when I like, that's my aim. I'm trying to. But then I think like, oh, well, I've started this episode of Gossip Girl. Exa- it, Do you know there's well f- only a few weeks until I will never be able to joke about the fact that I watched Gossip Girl again? It's ending. Yeah, but then you can always say like, I have watched every episode of Gossip Girl. Yeah. That's a thing you can then say. Yeah. For, and you know what? You have that for the rest of that's your life. True. No one can take that away from you. <laughs> um, but, All right. Dominican uh, Republic. Yeah. So, uh. So I'm going, and by the way, I'm going to try and uh, use my uh, sleep schedule, which is off, or one could say 
on. Right. Uh, the uh, I'm going to try and use that to uh, change my Wait, sleeping habits a little bit. By my math, hold on. Yeah. If you're going to bed at 12.30 and you're still in Dominican Republic time, and it's four hours later there, mm-hmm. we've got an hour and four minutes until you are out. So we uh, better... Uh, okay, all right, here we go. Yeah, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's pick up the pace. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to try and change it so that rather than go to bed at 6 a.m., I'm going to try to be going to bed at like 2. Yeah. Like 2 a.m. So we'll see how it goes. Last night... I went to bed at three, so I was very excited. Uh, now, Dominican Republic was was uh, a lot of fun. It Did was you see very, any movies there. I d- well, like I in the hotel. I didn't go. Oh, I didn't go to see any movies. No. Um, what are they? Did you? What are they showing? Down there, I looked it up. Yeah, that, that's are, what I would do. Yeah, too. they're showing um, End of Watch, sure. Premium Rush. They're a few months behind, is I guess is what I would say. Um, they a superhero movie that. I don't know. Seems to be specific to Spanish-speaking countries. Oh, that's cool. Which is kind of neat. I wanted to see that, but uh, mostly we just stayed in our resort. We stayed in you know uh, an all-expenses-paid resort. And I got to tell you, because you were you were working down there. Yeah. Right? Well, Jen was working, and then I helped. Yeah. I, I helped her a little bit uh, on day of because uh, she did not have a uh, what's called a second shooter in the wedding industry biz. Um, also in the presidential assassination biz. Yeah, yeah, and uh, by the way, yes, about a year ago, year and a half ago, Jen was one of a couple photographers to photograph Michelle Obama in Pasadena, and so when she said she <clears throat> shot Michelle Obama, people were like, ha, 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 and she's like, yes, that's very funny, and so, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. I wish photographers would just use a different word now because it saves all of us a lot of uh, terrible jokes. Now, oh, I'm sorry. Pardon me. No, 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 not terrible jokes. Just uh, jokes you've heard before. Just hack jokes. They're hacked to you. That's yeah, not I a guess natural. So. I didn't like. All right, go ahead. It's I'm fine. Not, I'm not going to defend my dumb joke. It was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, you know what? Your joke was it was uh, structured well, and uh, but the sentiment was uh, very familiar. Um, old hat. That's, that's, that's old what hat. I, like to, I love that phrase. I, I, like I, to, I yeah, I like to breathe new life into. Dumb jokes. Mission accomplished. By rewording them. So, um, no, we just basically stayed on the resort, and it was very, uh, it was very relaxing. Uh, basically just uh, laid out by the pool, hoping to get a tan, because I am not a tan person. And, of course, there was one day of sunshine, and the rest of the days were all overcast. And so it's just like, oh, I can't even... Nature won't let me uh-huh. lose my, my watch tan line. And so... Um, <laughs> So yeah, but but by and large it was it was pretty good. Uh, I w- I'll say this: I wanted it to be better. Here's how the resort was. Yeah, it's going to sound insulting, not of the Dominican people, but of j- just whoever's running this resort. It's like they read in a book what a resort is supposed to be, but they didn't read how. And so, for example, they read that. Hotel rooms have safes in them, right? Okay. And those safes, like, uh, you enter a code and uh, all that kind of thing. Okay, all right, that sounds good. You can't program that safe. Like, it's it's totally broken. And oh, uh, and Do you use the safe in a hotel room? Well, Jen brings, you know, photo equipment sure, and sure. that sort of thing. So, uh, so we put... And then, and certainly, like, after she... All her photo equipment is insured, but the the cards after she sure, shoots yeah. the uh, wedding, those are not the cards are insured, but what's on them isn't, right. and so she doesn't want to lose a whole wedding, so she'll put that in a safe. So, but it couldn't lock. Uh, DVD player uh-huh. didn't work. 
Oh. I'm sorry. It did. Black and white and silent, but that's all right. Don't know could, how. Could you futz with the. Uh, I tried. Oh. I tried. I tried everything. All my uh, technical know how when it comes to uh, DVD players. So there's one. Uh, and then, like, uh, laundry service. Hey, uh, just. My, my, old, my former neighbors in Chicago, people who lived above me, mm-hmm. um, they got a. Um, like new DVD player and they were like at my video store and they said what's good that's new and these people had good taste and mm-hmm. uh, Incident at Loch Ness had just come out and oh, I yeah. just watched it and I, I still really love that movie and so I recommended it to them and then I saw them like that night when I got home and they were like is that movie supposed to be in black and white? <laughs> and I was like no and it turns out they had hooked up their DVD player incorrectly. Ah okay <laughs> uh, yeah and so it was that and then like uh, like laundry you have an option where you, you put laundry in this they provide you a bag you put laundry in the bag you put it on the bed and uh, they'll pick it up when they when they uh, you know when they service your room. No they didn't do that and so for the last couple of days I've worn dirty clothes. Right, did not care for it. No, thank but now, when I came over today, you were folding. Laundry. We we've done every, all the laundry Freshly in one laundry. day. It's wonderful. All right. Uh, so it's just stuff like that. And by the way, not like there are like nine restaurants in the resort. Very exciting. It's nice. Every single one in the middle of the road, including this the nice steakhouse. Huh. It's unfortunate. But that's the thing. None of that kept me from enjoying the vacation. But it's just one of those things. Just like you know, you guys just got to turn. Just got to. Did it's you just eat at one all more. nine restaurants? Of course not. <laughs> you said every one of the middle of the road. So. Every one that I was that I went to, I and see. some of them I would go with Jen, and then I would not eat. Um, oh. And like it would be something like sushi, good oh, like right. sushi. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we went to the Italian restaurant, which uh, did not have. Oddly enough, I'm not opposed to Italian. I just didn't feel like it that night, and so. Uh, but Jen wanted ravioli, so we went. Did they and not she, have pizza? They didn't have pizza. Not even like a flatbread. No. Huh. Yeah. No pizza at this resort. That's the other thing. <laughs> it's very strange. Step up your game. I know. Resort. It's just right. it t- it's one, everything is just one step away from being what would be a completely satisfactory experience to the point where Jen and I, the very last night, we were at the steakhouse, which was kind of where we went because uh, it works out for both of us. So <laughs> we were there and we saw this older couple at a at the table next to us, and they just looked so happy. Uh-huh. And then they like they raised their their wine glasses oh. and like toasted Love and we're it. like oh that's her uh, Jen, Jen is uh, and to a lesser extent me like when she sees like older couples that are still clearly in love she's like oh that's great it's possible um, and so do you know what I think when I see an older you know how we've talked about how when we watch like a zombie movie or a natural disaster movie the first thing we think is well we're not going to be among these people we're, odds are we're going to be the people who yeah, yeah. were killed oh, initially no question so when I see an older couple I think that'd be nice but I'm not living that long Oh, oh, no question. Yeah. And, and also, I, you know, this is the cynical part of me. It was just like, part of me is just like, oh, I'm going to die at 50, obviously. That's, that's how it works. Yeah. And so, um, but uh, anyway, so they gave this toast and then Jen's like, oh, that's cute. And then she looks at me, she's like, clearly it's their first night here. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and I, that's just, funny. I was like, yeah, they'll, they'll learn. Now, um, I didn't go to the, to the Dominican Republic. Dominican Republic, jeez, Louise! You and I, I should go. You should. You and I should go on vacation together. Yeah, it would be absolute hell for you. It would not work out well. <laughs> yeah, I think we'd be we'd be having a lot of uh, solo day trips, uh, doing our own thing. Anyway, I didn't go to the, to the Dominican Republic. Man, I cannot talk. I did go to Simi Valley okay. for Thanksgiving. Um, that's my my girlfriend's family is from. Um, and that's the thing. Last week was not only your trip to the Dominican Republic, it was Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. 
and we didn't do an episode. We'll make it up somewhere down the road, sometime after 300, probably. Yeah. So our 300th episode will actually be our 301st week. Ugh, but uh, It's going to kill me. I think we can live with it. We'll, we'll straighten it out eventually. Um, and I wanted to sort of get sentimental here for a second. Um, since we, we didn't do an episode last week, this is sort of the Thanksgiving episode, and I wanted to thank the listeners and the readers of the website um, who have, you know, the, whose numbers have grown and who have stuck with us and seem to appreciate when we do a nearly four-hour episode um, and who comment on our uh, reviews uh, on, on the website and who really, like, not only sort of, you know, support us, I guess, emotionally by being... Uh, by interacting do. with us, yeah. and, but also just the fact that they're listening and and um, visiting the website has given us so many opportunities. You know, to if no one were visiting our website, we wouldn't get the, you know, the the screenings and the and the you know review copies of DVDs and Blu-rays, uh, um, and, and and stuff like that. And uh, I was just thinking about this last week because a couple of days before Thanksgiving, I got to go to. Uh, uh, a screening. Um, I was invited, and it was a tough week last week. And I, at work, at my day job, and I was so stressed out that I like considered, like, just emailing the PR person and being like, "I can't make it to the screening tonight." Mm-hmm. But I went, and I'm glad I did because this is a movie that doesn't have distribution yet. It's 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 Russia's um, entry for the foreign language Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's too weird to be nominated. Um, you never but, know. Dogtooth was up was uh, nominated. Yeah. A couple but Dogtooth got a lot more press, and that's the thing that I'm talking about here is that I basically got to see this movie that there's no other way that I would have seen. Okay, and it's you know um, I can say you know I can pat myself on the back and say it's because of this thing that Tyler and I have have built, but we couldn't have done it without without the listeners and the readers. And, and so now I get to see this movie. It's called it's called White Tiger, and hopefully it will get distribution oh. and come out. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It is an amazing movie. I'll get back to in a second. Um, but I get to not only see it, but like write a glowing review that then the PR person, you know, tweets and puts on their Facebook and, right. and uses to promote the film. And, and I essentially get to, in some small way, like chill for a movie that I think is important and should be seen uh, and that I wouldn't have seen otherwise if it weren't for the show. And specifically if it weren't for the people who stick with us and care what we have to say for some reason. So I wanted to, because we didn't do a Thanksgiving episode, I wanted to say thank you. Absolutely. That's uh that's very, that's a very nice thing for you to say. And something that I actually has, have thought myself recently uh, in a very, I arrived there in a very strange way. Uh, the onion recently had a, one of their articles about, uh, and the, I believe the title was, uh, I am a brand says pathetic man. Oh, I saw the uh, headline. I haven't read the article yet. It's very interesting, and it's and and funny in which this guy uh, who talks about you know he's got a blog, he's got Facebook, he's got you know basically everything that a person can can have online, and and that he you know goes on and updates and all that. He's trying to build his brand and all that. It doesn't necessarily say that what he does. He's uh-huh. trying to build the brand of him. Right. And uh, and so the humor of it is, of course, just the way they. Uh, incorporate their judgment of the man into their reporting of the mm-hmm. man and that sort of thing. And so I was uh, reading it and um, and it struck me as funny. And, and, and a lot of what they have the man say 
is stuff that I have said uh-huh. in reference to Battleship Pretension or More Than One Lesson. It's just like, okay, well, you know, we're trying to build the brand, so we're trying to sure. find out what we are, you know. Um, and uh, and so when I saw him saying all that, I was just like, oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, that, that sounds familiar. And so for a moment, I was just, as I always do, I'm just like, oh, jeez, once again, the onion has skewered me without knowing it. <laughs> uh, but... I realized, like, you know what? That's not true. Like, I'm not this man who doesn't actually exist, but probably does somewhere. Right. Um, I'm not him. Like, we get emails and we get comments from people who... Tweets. Tweets. Love them tweets. Yeah. uh, You know, Facebook comments, the the whole deal. uh, From people all over the the world who like what we do and, and it astounds me like it's I, I know that i uh from a personal standpoint i should not necessarily get my worth from what other people say because then of course you wind up uh, every once in a while you get somebody who says something really terrible uh-huh. and just like well okay that undoes everything that that, does, <laughs> uh, that other people have said but it is one of those things like people take have taken the time to engage with us and that means and I apologize if it sounds like we're like I'm, I'm patting us on the back. If people are taking the time to engage with us, as opposed to merely listen, which is fine too, uh, then that means, at least from a definition standpoint, that you and I are engaging. And <laughs> it's just it 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 gives you a nice a nice boost. Whether it be like, hey, we wouldn't be we wouldn't have the opportunity to see certain movies if not for the listener. You know? Yeah, and I want to. Yeah, I want to say that we are not as much as uh, I tend to, you know, bloviate and and uh, uh, y- you know have this ego. Um, I, d- I don't actually fool myself that I um, deserve to have people listen to and care about and interact with my opinions. I, I-, I want to thank people for taking the time to care. Yeah. And it's and it's an interesting thing. I, I came upon a certain, not necessarily a turn of phrase, but a thought that I th- found int- interesting, which is, um, you know, I, I I don't I don't think I'm important, uh-huh. like in the grand scheme of things, but I am important to the listeners, and that's no small thing. And they and they to us, absolutely. All right. Um, Real quick before we move on, though, I do want to mention this movie, White Tiger, and use you know I use the website uh, and Twitter already. You know my my reviews up on on Twitter, and I link to it a couple times on I mean, my reviews up on the website. I link to it a couple times on Twitter. I want to use another one of my platforms to talk about this movie and how amazing I think it is. Let me tell you, I don't know if you read that review. You've just gotten back from the Dominican yeah, Republic. I you probably it, haven't read the but review. But it looked interesting. Um, let me tell you the basic story. Okay. All right, it's World War Two. It's a Russian film. Okay. It's World War Two. The Russians are winning the war at this point. Uh, it's like summer 43, so they're um, mm-hmm. at least this front. I'm, I'm not sure. You know right? You're Russian history better than I do, but it seems like the war overall is going well. It's go- Well, they're winning to a certain extent. The, the Russians lost, aside, of course, from the Jews. From, a, from the purely fighting war standpoint right. of World War II, the Russians lost more than anybody. They just had more to lose. They just had a lot more okay. people to lose. Then that, that, that ties in here, because here's what's happening. Uh, even though they're winning a lot of the, this thing, these individual battles, they keep getting taken by this uh, mysterious German tank that is unlike any other German tank mm-hmm. that just sort of appears behind their lines, behind them, and takes out all their tanks quickly and then sort of disappears as quickly as it appeared. Okay. It's essentially a ghost tank. Right, which is your title. Yes. Yeah. And that could be the title of the movie. 
Yeah. Then what happens? So that's already like a bit of like a little weird, yeah. right? That it's this Russian World War II drama. Then what happens? One of the drivers, Russian like tank drivers, in one of the tanks that's been de- like destroyed, he's found among the wreckage, completely burnt to a crisp, and yet wide awake and alert and alive. They take him back to the hospital to, you know, to see what they can do. Within three weeks, he is completely healed. You, it doesn't look like he ever, has ever been burned at all, but he's changed. He doesn't know who he was. He doesn't know his name anymore. But he knows that he can now sense and talk to tanks. Right? Okay. And so he knows when this ghost tank, he can sense where its movements and where it's going to appear. So the, 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 the Russians outfit a tank to, to, to be faster and have more rounds and more armor. They let him pit, handpick a crew, and then he's sent out to find this phantom tank called the White Tiger and destroy it. So it sounds like a fun movie, right? Like a little bit I weird. Mean, it sounds okay, and I don't say this in a in a derogatory way, in a uh, pejorative. Um, it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. But in the best possible way. But here's the thing. Okay. He, here's what it doesn't sound. It doesn't that that description, which I think still sounds awesome to me. Mm-hmm. To me, if someone described that movie to me, I would want to see it just yeah. based on that. What that doesn't get across is how like deadly serious the movie is, and not in like a boring or like eye-rolling way like it is a serious art film <laughs> that has huge ideas and huge like you know um deep extended metaphors about communication and about uh tank whispering and, and about th- but about the nature of of humanity and evolution and like um are like are we there are things about us that we consider humanity we consider to be implicitly humane or a mm-hmm. part of ourselves but as far as we know we're such a tiny spark in the a, a tiny dot in the timeline of human evolution for all we know the things that we think define us could just be a temporary temporary part of our nature in its evolution and maybe mm-hmm. there is nothing that's innately human or maybe there is and it's awful things and so maybe we like this guy who can now commune with tanks instead of being a weirdo is actually the first of the next like wave of human evolution. He's on the path to the singularity. It's a, it's an amazing, amazing movie. So this is like X-Men is what you're telling me. <laughs> it's kind of like, X-Men. okay. Um, I, I keep making these glib remarks. It actually sounds wonderful. And so I can, to- and uh, I'm sure I, I'm sure I can't, but I can totally picture just this tone, this very somber, uh, but also, deadly serious when it tone. becomes like, um, uh, when, when there's tank battles, uh, I'm so glad I was able to see this in the theater because they are enormous, just huge explosions and so much destruction, and, and, and just like, just like, just f- like pushing me back against my chair, just being so loud and huge. It's so much fun, and like, is any one part of it you describe would seem to rule out all the other parts of it, but they all work together. It's an amazing. Movie. It could, you know, hey. I'll tell you, like from from the you know the Oscar standpoint, like the Academy, the whoever nominates like the foreign films, like they they always throw you for a loop. I remember one time, I think uh, I tweeted because I don't remember what it was, but uh, there was 
the movie that everyone expected to win, and then there's the one that did win. And I just uh-huh. said, like, best foreign film, the, the category that looks at your expectations and says, and I, I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it could, it could do that. You never know. I, ho- I hope so. Because they always end up with things like the chorus or just really, like... Yeah. Uh, stuff that would be not even good enough, I think, for, like, best picture... It, you know, if it were in English, but the oh, fact that no, it's in French no question. Yeah, makes yeah. It, it, yeah, it's... It's like, but, oh, it's whimsy. No, no, it's just another language. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for White Tiger. Uh, Here's the problem. I'm just as likely now to think of it as Ghost Tank before <laughs> White Tiger. Like, it's just like, I'll, uh, you guys... You guys have Ghost Tank here? And it's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Ghost Tank, you know? Guy talks to tanks. But I would, yeah, I mean, if the movie were more well-known, I would just start referring to it as Ghost Tank. <laughs> the way right. that, I don't know if you listen to, like, film spotting SVU, but Matt Singer and Alison Wilmore refer to Lockout as Space Jail, and that's, like, <laughs> the only thing they call it, and it always cracks me up. It comes up. That movie is still coming up on film spotting SVU, uh, which, which is very funny to me. And so, yeah, if the movie had more of a, like, presence, I would mm-hmm. just refer to it as Ghost Tank, because that's funny to me. Like that movie that came out a few months ago, Bike Chase, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or yeah. just, I guess, uh, Fast Bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, um, man, that sounds, this sounds like a fun game, just coming up with, I guess, not, not, not merely alternate titles, but uh-huh. alternate titles that just, that, like, how, how somebody who doesn't really get the movie would describe it. Uh-huh. He's like, uh, yeah, the movie, uh, I don't know, Ghost Tank, I don't yeah. know, whatever the fuck. <laughs> yeah. Just that kind of that kind of. Well, we had a lengthy discussion at the top of the show about Drunk Pilot. Thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Now, uh, uh, the movies we've talked about, Flight, White Tiger, uh, whatever else, I'm trying to think if any of those directors have also acted. Here's a hell note. Taking it back. Here's a segue. Okay. Back to the thank thank you thing. Okay. A movie you got to review, uh, got to watch from the comfort of your own home, home own home, mm-hmm. thanks to an online uh, screener uh, for review, was Matthew Lillard's directorial debut, Fat Kid Rules the World. That's true. And that is actually the film that got you thinking about today's topic. So let's get into it, shall we? It is. Alternate segue. Uh, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, which is the holiday that takes place in Home for the Holidays, the directorial debut of Jodie Foster. But go. let's go with Fat Kid Rules the World. Um, yeah, but because uh, that was the one that actually made you think about this. Yes, it is. Now, longtime listeners and loyal listeners, uh, and, and people who weirdly remember things that we say that we forget, will yeah, remember. That's, this is an old one. This is like a yeah, going way back. You and I are, first six months. You and I are big fans of Matthew Lillard. Yes, he should be in more movies. That's something we have said. We have literally said that from the beginning of this show. Yes, uh, we were saying that probably before we were doing a podcast. We're, we're big fans. And um, well, you and I watched Scooby Doo together. Did we watch it together? We did. I brought it home from the video store. Is yeah, and I watched it with you because I, watch... I was excited to see him. Yeah, as uh, Shaggy. Now, did we also watch together Scooby Doo Two Monsters Unleashed? Or yes, we watched it together. Yes. Okay, I couldn't remember <laughs> if I was on my own for that one or not. Um, I have to assume we lose listeners, right? When we say that, <laughs> uh, listeners, we don't want to begin with. Fair um, enough. Not the ones we're thankful for. Uh, I mean, but, but anyway, this thing about Matthew Lillard this is part of the reason I was so excited to see him in The Descendants about mm-hmm. this time last year. I saw absolutely. It, I saw The Descendants Thanksgiving weekend last year with my mom, um, and 
was del- I mean, I knew he was in it, but was delighted at how great he was in it and how um, not the 90s hackers scream Matthew right. Lillard he right. was in it. I, I just, I'm a big fan of this guy. I think he's got a lot more. Uh, you know what? I Even really. Movie- okay, go ahead. Again, this isn't the topic. We're going to get to actors who direct. Um, but I think, I mean, I always liked Matthew Lillard's performances and things like I mentioned, hackers and scream mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then I guess around 2004, 2005, right before we did the show, I saw a movie called Wicker Park with Josh Hartnett. Absolutely, yes. Um, Not that good of a movie. It's really, really bad, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but Matthew Lillard plays the best friend. And I would just, it just becomes apparent how much the movie comes alive whenever Matthew Lillard was on the screen. He's got so much presence. And that, I think, really is what got me thinking about how much I like him as an actor. Did you ever see 13 Ghosts? God, I think I did. It's not good. No. Tony Shalhoub is an F. Murray Abraham. Yes, I did see that. Yeah. And, uh, is that? Yeah. I feel like there's somebody else in it, but now I don't recall. But Tony Shalhoub is in it and Matthew Lillard. And, uh, Matthew Lillard really, uh, does a, I think a great job in that movie. I think he's, uh, cause he's still playing kind of the, the, let's say quirky, kind of a, uh-huh. kind of a quirky character. Kind of spazzy. Spazzy. Uh, but, has takes that and then applies it towards a character who is like psychic and can see ghosts and can commune with the dead. And so of course that person probably would be a little spazzy. And so he actually takes his, uh, you know, Lillardisms, uh, and I say that in a, in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and sort of reapplies them to help realize this probably if i had to guess poorly written character in a poorly made film uh and makes him by far the most interesting uh, part of that film um but yeah and so uh so i did recently watch and review and for these reasons you were excited to see fat kid rule yes, the world you yes. jumped at the chance when it came up for for review yes i was very interested to see what he would what he would do how uh, sort of mm. because though i do like matthew lillard I am, and probably unfairly, I am always a little uh, iffy about an actor's directorial debut. I don't know why. There are plenty of good ones. Do you know, um, and, and in thinking about this topic, it's the good ones that came to mind for me. But yeah. there are bad ones, too. There are bad ones. And I'll bring up one that I've not seen, but you have, but I'll talk about it in a moment. Is uh, it Sympathy for Delicious? That's the one. Oh, man. And so... Um, that is beyond bad, that movie. Yeah, and we'll get to that in a second. But... Uh, M. Beth Davids, is that who you're thinking of? Who's in 13 Ghosts? I don't think so. I'm a big fan of M. Beth oh, okay. Davids. <laughs> I'm a big fan of her beyond the fact that I'm a fan of saying her name. Okay. But I'm also a fan of saying her name. Yeah, I feel like maybe that comes first... But there's more to it. But she's really great on, uh, I mean, she's on Mad Men a little bit. She was on the first season of um, In Treatment. I know, she, didn't see that. She and Josh Charles played a uh, toxic married couple. Oh, my. And it was uh, it was delightful. Shannon Elizabeth. That's the one. That's who, I, that's who I was thinking. Okay. Which is unfortunate. I don't know why I would. Well, don't you mean. That's, eh, she's. You know, seems like a perfectly nice person. I'm sure she's a perfectly nice person, but there are plenty of nice people There's that aren't no good actors. No reason to believe she's not a nice person. <laughs> I'll give you that. But um, yeah, and so uh, so I went into Fat Kid Rules the World with a, a bit of uh, trepidation, sure, because um, because I 
I guess I'll start with the broad thing first, and you you can read this in my review, is that there is just something about when an actor sort of slowly it just decides, I want to direct, and they will kind of dip their toe in the water first. Occasionally, not all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you get as, as much maligned as Dances with Wolves is, it is not a low ambition film. Yeah, yeah that's true. And so, I mean, he jumped in, you know, uh, with both feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with, but with actors, you'll get, you tend to get movies that are not surprisingly, they are character based. Yeah. They yeah, are almost thing. plotless in their, uh, mm. structure, um, which is not a crime, but it does, you, it, it doesn't feel they, t- the movies tend not to be incredibly satisfying because, uh, while they are character based, they also, they tend to be a little angsty, but not even the kind of angsty you can really sink your teeth into. They just kind of this, the movies are almost not there. It's hard to explain and it sounds very negative. Um, and cause they're not bad. They're mm-hmm. just, they're just kind of whatever you see them and you move on. And then chances are the director with their second film will do something of note. Uh, if they choose to make a second film, but like, for example, uh, I'll bring up uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Now that, it, directed by George Clooney. Now that is not necessarily a low ambition film. but uh, and, and there is a story, I guess, but it's rather formless. And it's based on this character that you don't really know. And that's not Sam Rockwell's fault. I think it's just not a well-written film and it's just you watch it and you and you move on like i i don't remember much about mm. confessions of a dangerous mind and i feel like i should after that you get good night and good luck which is such a huge step uh forward um in its i don't know in in just the not not just the, it's the whole package it is so consistent in what it wants to be and then what it is um and and Clooney just, and then then he made Leatherhead, which which I didn't see, and then he made The Ides of March, and I, I think he's I think he's t- maybe take, taken a step or two backwards from from Good Night and Good Luck, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, like so, Confessions of a, of a Dangerous Mind is a good example. It's not the perfect example because it is a bit more ambitious, and I think it's probably because it's George Clooney. He could probably get a bit of a higher budget, and he's worked with other directors. He's wor- and you see a lot of Soderbergh in that movie, yeah, a lot. A lot. Which he thankfully dropped when he mm-hmm. moved on. Um, and so, uh, but by and large, you get stuff like, okay, let me, okay. The, I, I wrote down a list of, of actors and their, their debuts, and I didn't want this to be purely a discussion of, of directorial debuts, but it is interesting to, to examine. Okay. Uh, I'll just name, okay, George, uh, George, uh, not, yeah, okay, sorry. You said George Clooney. I said George Clooney already. We've uh, done that. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Jack Goes Boating. I wanted to see that. I didn't see that. I wanted to, then I read the reviews, yeah. and everybody said it's formless, it's it's everything that I just said. Steve Buscemi, Trees, uh, Trees Lounge, which is a movie I like quite a bit, uh, but it's, it's a movie about, uh, you know, like an alcoholic, and that's fine. And so, by almost by its very nature, it's not going to be very structured. It's going to mm-hmm. be kind of random and and kind of 
going this way and that. And, and I think because Steve Buscemi plays the lead, and I think, which you'll find a lot in this as well, um, I think that helps give the film uh, some consistency. I think mm-hmm. uh, building it around this character and then having a capable actor play that character, I think that helps tremendously. Then you get... Uh, like Reality Bites, which is Ben Stiller's sure, directorial yeah. debut. Um, and then there's uh, then there's like a couple of... And then you get stuff like Sympathy for Delicious, which I didn't see, but I read your review. It's ridiculous. And it's ridi- why is it ridiculous? Um, you would think... Now, there's a slight... There's a slight different... All these movies I've been talking about, I've heard are fine. They're like yeah. C plus B minus movies. Yeah. So, whereas this is much worse. Yeah, I, and I don't understand. It's directed by Mark Ruffalo. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if we said that yet. Um, uh, and you would think that he got his idea of like the rock and roll scene from like uh, I don't even I don't even know like Mad Magazine or maybe like something he was warned about in <laughs> Sunday school or something. Like it's just it's so. It's it's just so ridiculous, and, and you know the way that the people become like enraptured by like this. Like he's supposed to be the struggling DJ, but then when he does play, he's got crowds going nuts. You mm-hmm. know, it it, it it that it doesn't make any sense. But it also is what we're talking about. It's mostly about it's mostly a, sh- a showcase for mm-hmm. um, uh, performances, and it's actually when he you know tries to do the things. Uh, you know, maybe it's the fact that staging a concert or, or a performance thing isn't about acting, and so there's a there's a falseness when he leaves his comfort zone of just watching people act. Right, and um, I and that's the, the the it's the comfort zone quality. Now I want to talk. We've talked about a number. You said fine, but I want to talk a movie that about a movie real quick that I actually like, or at least remember liking. It's from you know uh, twelve years ago or more, ninety uh, nine, I think. Um, Directed by actor Tony Goldwyn, who people uh, obviously know as the villain from Ghost. Uh, he's been in a lot of things, but that's mm-hmm. always what comes to he mind. He's also the villain in uh, The Sixth Day. That's right. Ghost is... Is Ghost better than The Sixth Day? I don't even know. They're both I would say not very good. yes. Yeah. Ghost at least has uh, what I think is a very interesting um, performance. From and, Patrick Swayze? And Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, okay. I, and I, I Vincent Schiavelli? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Tony Golden is the is the the bad guy, um, and he directed this movie. He's directed since then. He did the um, remake of The Last Kiss, which is an Italian film. The remake oh. starred Zach Braff. I never saw yeah, it. I didn't see it. Um, anyway, um, uh, but A Walk on the Moon stars um, Diane Lane, Viggo Mortensen, and a uh, young Anna Paquin. I think. Yeah. Um, I guess not super young. Yeah, kind of young. I mean, she's still she's yeah, she's not that much older than we are. So who do we know that knocked her over? You don't know him. Okay. That's my story from someone that's, I went to high school with. That's right. Okay, yeah, that's right. It's not it's not somebody you knew in Chicago. It's someone you went to high school with. That's yeah. right. Um, and I'll tell that story in just a second. But that's okay. this is also that's also a movie that's very much about performances. But um, I wonder. I think that movie works, and I think maybe it's because it's um, Tony Goldwyn by making a movie that is still about the performance, but whose lead performance is a woman is maybe just enough outside his comfort zone to, uh, to stretch him a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he is good at it. You know, I'm sure a lot of 
actors would have failed at being able to direct Walk on the Moon. Right. A Walk on the Moon. But yeah, let me tell the story. I, yeah, I went to... Um, uh, he's just transferred. He was from Canada, which is where they shot Walk on the Moon, somewhere in Canada. I don't remember where, mm-hmm. uh, where he was from. Um, but he uh, transferred. Uh, it was my senior year. He was a year or two younger, so it was a junior or sophomore. And... Um, he had been an extra, a kid extra in A Walk on the Moon. For those who don't know, A Walk on the Moon takes place in upstate New York in the summer of 1969 uh, at like a sort of campground summer retreat. I don't know, just people summering there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's one part where they're, the, the campground is very close to Woodstock. Mm-hmm. Um, and they know Woodstock's going on. And there's one part where all the kids from this like campground area decide to go check out Woodstock. So they go like walk and then and then they hear the music and they run and they're supposed to run up the hill and then they, as they come over the hill there's like woodstock happening mm. um and so my friend uh, i mean I know, the guy i went to high school with dustin was in the group of kids um i feel like i'm telling someone else's story but it's a funny story well um, he's not going to be on the show so you know maybe he uh, for all we know he has a podcast he probably has a podcast by now eh, probably yeah. but on the strength of this story alone he's probably started a <laughs> podcast um, he was in the group of extras, like running up the hill, and Anna Paquin was, of course, in in front because she's the right. you know the the star there. Um, but he was toward the back, and he realized like, oh, the camera's at the front of the pack. He's like, I want to be on camera. <laughs> so this, he starts just harassing through like this group of kids, pushing them aside, you know, getting, uh, you know, trying to get out in front, and then he gets out in front of the pack, and suddenly he's in a clearing, and he is going. Like, you know, uh, hell bent for leather forward, and there's nothing between him and Anna Paquin, and he just wham, just <laughs> plows right into her and knocks her over to the point where she apparently, like, her like shoulder was injured, and they had to, like, stop for the day. <laughs> I shouldn't be dining out on someone else's story, but uh, that's a delightful story. Oh, absolutely. All right. And I don't, I don't wish... Uh any harm to Anna Paquin. I think she's a, she's a great actress She's on the true blood. She's bisexual. She's, she was in Margaret doing great. Wonderful performance in Margaret. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for a second, I forgot which movie was Margaret. And I thought that she was in the iron lady. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So back to business. Um, Oh, sorry. Do we have too much fun there? (laughs) I, I asked you to tell the story basically. All right. So, um, yeah, and so in uh, in Fat Kid Rules the World, there's good performances that I don't remember the name of the kid from Terry. Um, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue now. Oh well, I'll figure it out. Yeah, you'll, you'll you'll get it. But, uh, but yeah, he's wonderful. Uh, I think I think the other kid's name is Matt O'Leary. And then, um, did you see Terry? By the way, I didn't see Terry. I, really I, great. I yeah, I do want to. I, I do want like to it. see it, but I just keep not getting around to it. And then. Um, Man, I and then I'm 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 very bad with names at the moment. I'm sorry. I'm still kind of getting over. I'm still a little jet lagged. Sure, um, sure. But uh, but there's a lot of as one would expect because this is how it is. A lot of great performances in Fat Kid Rules the World. Mm-hmm. It is a film of performances. Um, Jacob Wysocki. Wysocki. That's yes. That's the kid who played Terry. Um, can you look up and see who plays uh, his father? I'm, I'm Billy Campbell. Never mind. Got it. Oh, that guy. Uh, like yeah. Him. I think like forty four hundred. He's great in that. Sure, sure, yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, Paul Goble would say that he's very good in uh, what is it? Once and again, is yeah. That what it was that was a good show. Yeah, 
And so um That was right when I was starting to get into watching TV seriously when that show was on. So uh oh and the Rocketeer. He was also in the Rocketeer. Never saw it. Really? Yeah. Oh man, well we'll talk later. Um <laughs> so so of course the performances are very good, but the but the structure of the story is not that great, mm. and uh, and it's about it's about a relationship, and there's nothing wrong with that, except and and it it's dependent on on the actors, and it sounds strange that I of all people would say that that's not a good thing, um, but I don't know, I, I really can't put my finger on what it is about an actor makes a movie. And it is just this kind of amorphous thing that is ostensibly about um, – maybe it's this now that I think about it. it it's ostensibly about uh, you know characters that are you know st- struggling with life and that sort of thing. And maybe it's the fact that it is this. And I, I don't mean anything against uh, you know the cast of, of Fat Kid Rules the World, but um, – Maybe it's that you need really, really strong, you need like a really strong screen presence, not merely a really strong actor. You need a really strong screen presence to sort of command our attention if there's going, maybe that's why Trees Lounge works. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if if it's going to be the kind of this uh, shapeless thing. And it's going to be purely a character study or a relation uh, relationship study. You need something like you know a movie that I always go back to. It's not a directorial debut or anything, but uh, you know, not much happens in Affliction. It's mm-hmm. almost all character, but it's Nick Nolte and it's James Coburn and Sissy Spacek and Willem Dafoe. Like there's there's a great cast in there, and they really. And I don't mean to say they're, it's because they're famous and so we're willing to go along with it. It's not about that. It's just about they just command our attention. And so it's just – so even if your mind starts to be like, I, nothing's really going on, it's almost just through sheer force of will. They're like, I'm going on. Uh-huh. And by I, I don't mean me, Nick Nolte, or me, Steve Buscemi, but this character is going on. And, and you're like, you're right. I'm sorry. This is enough. And whereas in in something like Fat Kid Rules the World or you know uh, uh, you know Jack Goes Boating or something like that, again I haven't seen it. I'm sorry. Um, although I guess uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is the lead of that, but uh, yeah, I mean you like you know, Jacob Wasaki, but it doesn't. Yeah, but it's I don't know. It's it, just it's, uh, not I, every actor is consistent all the time. Yeah, and 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 I feel bad. I feel like I'm really knocking this movie. Like I said, it's a solid B minus, mm-hmm. um, but it's just. There's just like an extra thing that needs to happen. And by the way, I've got plenty of examples of movies. Well, let's that um, it, you know, I'll bring this up actually because Mel Gibson is a director of big movies. Mm-hmm. Now, his debut was Man Without a Face, which did star him mm-hmm. and a young Nick Stahl. Mm-hmm. And once again, it's about a relationship. And there's not a whole lot that happens. It's just about a, a relationship, and there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, but this falls into it as well. It's a little. It's a it's a bit high concept because the you know the character has. There's a lot more to Mel Gibson's character because you know he, his face was burned and he lost his family, and there are all these allegations about stuff that that his character did or didn't do. So there is that. But uh, but yeah, it's but he, it's not a satisfying film. He's. Um Mel Gibson, 
um, monster. He's a monster in his personal life. Um, I feel like I need to say that. Um, but uh, as he, a do, dra- he does monstrous things, and I think he is a deeply, deeply troubled individual. Troubled to the point where it's now it started to extend to other people, and he is hurting other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I have a hard time calling somebody a, a monster. Although uh, at this point, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard not to. Well, that's your yeah, your Christian charity there. Uh, well done. I don't possess that, so he's a monster. It's easy for me to say. Fair enough. Um, but I think as, as a director, unlike a lot of other directors, uh, other actors turned directors, I think he actually he does have a very strong visual sense mm-hmm. and a sense of um, momentum and, and uh, for lack of a better word, cadence in. In okay. storytelling, do you, do you know what I mean? Um, a, a lot of a lot of actors turned directors are just um, like with sympathy for delicious. They seem to be doing scenes at a time, and mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know, as if it's just under the proscenium and just like presenting you a scene, and they, and don't, they don't really have a an editorial sense. Um, and, and I think even in Mail Without a Face, which I granted haven't seen in fifteen years um, or more. Um, Mel Gibson does have a better handle on um, the non-acting parts of filmmaking than a lot of actors turned directors. You I know, think. I th- I think that's actually a great way to to approach it. Is when you th- oh, go go ahead. You're going to say something. No, I just have some more examples. But oh, okay. Uh, uh, well, before you give those, uh, the idea of like an actor, what they do is, I mean, it's all about the character, obviously the character doesn't care about the environment and how it looks. The the character only cares about how they relate to other people and then what has happened and what's going to happen. It's all about arc. It's all about uh, story with them and relationships. And so that's why... But you do get some actors when when they direct who they they understand that, like, I can't just lock into this one aspect because... Then you wind up getting, as you said, a collection of scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, one and they one just follows another, and then he, he, here we are at the end. Like it needs to be more than that. It needs to have a visual sense because maybe they're tr- maybe they're trying to explore more than merely the story. Maybe the story is the delivery device for something else, mm-hmm. and so they view the 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 film as one large thing as opposed to uh, I don't know. They view it almost like as a circle instead of a straight line. You know, a straight line has a beginning and an end, and you just follow it, and you'll end up there. Whereas a circle is this complete thing yeah, that like is that. just there when you look at it. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I should have seen it coming. I did not expect to be talking about Mel Gibson today, maybe because we did an, an entire very long episode. Right? Yeah, I wasn't planning on spending a lot of time on him. Yeah, um, I want to um, mention, and this is sort of the last of my like. I'm sure more will come up, but. Uh, actors who I don't like as directors Okay. before we move into the ones I do like. Um, but I think I'm in the minority here. A, because I've only seen her first film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and B, because everyone likes it. But I did not like Away From Her, directed by Sarah Polly. Oh, okay. Um, for And I, you know, I don't have a lot of original complaints about it, given this episode. It's mostly the same thing as we've been talking about. It's um, it doesn't feel like a complete film. It feels like um, a performance showcase, um, and it it doesn't seem to have a lot of momentum. And it's maybe a little more uh, conventional than it thinks it is. Maybe that's why I okay. And that'll get me into actually. That's a perfect segue to one. Now I haven't seen Take the Swaltz. I have a screener at home. Maybe it's great. Um, but 
it's a perfect segue as far as like uh, uh, it being uh, more conventional than it thinks it is. Um, because I think Sarah probably maybe recognizes the limitations of actors who direct mm-hmm. um, or, or many of them and is trying to reach outside of it but doesn't have the skill set. And I think one of the things that makes Clint Eastwood a great actor who directs is that I think he understands his limitations you know, and right. works within them and hires people like Jack Green and Tom Stern to shoot his films, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so that he can like do it quickly and, and, and bare bones and focus on the stuff that he wants with a crew, uh, you know, or, or, or an eye like Green's or Stern's that will be able to move at that, at that pace and still come up with some striking visuals. Uh, I think, but he also does have what I think is a tragic flaw. Okay. As an actor who became a director. And that is, and this is hard for me to say. I mean, I can form the words, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Chrysanthemum. <laughs> Rural. <laughs> uh, and so um, the uh, he has this reverence for the script. Oh, I see. And I think an actor has that. An actor just sees the words and says like, "All right, what can I do with this?" A director looks at a script and says, "Does this fit into uh, I can use this." And I can maybe be inspired by it and I can make a movie out of this. But in doing so, there are some scenes that may need to be cut. They work well in, you know, they work well in the context of the script, but mm-hmm. not in the movie I'm making. Clint Eastwood does not do that. And so you get scenes like uh, the scene at the end of Mystic River, which is a very good scene where Laura Linney plays Lady Macbeth, basically. You uh, and I disagree because it's my favorite scene in the movie. And it's a great, it's a great scene. In a, and since the, the movie is, is good, I like it less now than I used to. But, uh, but beautiful to look at beautiful to look at and i don't just mean like that it's pretty because it's often not pretty Mm -hmm. but it's um it's visuals are so compelling and suggestive yeah it's that it makes up for a lot of lost ground yeah and so and you get stuff like like million dollar baby gorgeous to look at Mm -hmm. and real and put together really beautifully uh and it just has such a nice just such a nice quiet dark quality to it but then you wind up with stuff like uh like um Hilary Swank's relatives Margot Martindale does a wonderful job but still like y- you just get the feeling that somebody maybe he's maybe he's a little too reliant on his uh collaborators and he picks them really well for the most part but then you know maybe his costume designer decided that uh hey uh, her family went to Disneyland and bought a, and one of them bought a Mickey Mouse shirt and we'll have them wearing it to the hospital like come on <laughs> like that's ridiculous Clint Eastwood say something you know and it's but I, but I do think even though he's directed I think I looked it up like 30 yeah. 35 films at I this was point. thinking about that scene okay like so were they at Disney like where's the hospital it's during the day when they visit yeah like did they just go for a couple hours in the morning to Disneyland no one I don't, do, no I one don't does know that I don't know like it seems like they just came from there <laughs> or maybe they went the day before and they bought shirts and now they're really excited to wear them. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. They're definitely still excited. Like they just came from an amusement park. Yeah. And so it's just is it it's, Mickey Mouse. What was that? Is it Mickey Mouse that she's. It, yeah. It, I think it's, I think it's a Mickey Mouse shirt. Oh, okay. Like, and clearly like 
like a Disneyland Mickey Mouse shirt. Yeah. And so for some um, reason I had it in my head in my head it was Universal Studios that it, they were wearing something else. I I could I could have sworn it is Mickey Mouse. Uh, you're probably right. But uh, admittedly, it's been a while since I've seen it. One way or the other, it is a you know, it's really cheap and obvious, and it's and it seems like the type of thing that yes, maybe a costume designer did it, but it it also could be in the script. You know that uh, I mean, it is co-written by Paul Haggis, who is not the most subtle yeah uh, writer, and so um so that's the don't get me wrong, Clint Eastwood can make wonderful films, but I do think there is this instinct that that is left over from his acting days and uh and it's unfortunate but i think he's um um you know you may say he made, he's made 35 films i think he's really even though i talk about how he maybe understands his limitations he's actually actually has developed a visual style um and an editing style and a, and a style of composition i think that um feels uh, unadorned in a way that like if you didn't have more if you just saw a scene from say Gran Torino I think mm-hmm. is a great example you would think may, like maybe that was amateurish but when you see it as a whole you realize that it's actually very considered and that it's sort of yeah. um, he, he reminds me of like the Italian neorealists in the way that he often presents things in a very bare bones, uh, sort of way. Did you see Gran Torino? I did. Yeah. It was one of my favorite movies of that year. I liked it a lot. Um, now, um, yeah, his movies, his movies really, he allows them to, to breathe. And, and he is, it's, it's strange. Like I say this in spite of the fact that he was known as, you know, his, he tended to play incredibly violent characters, but Mm -hmm. the, the way that, he is as an actor like he clearly enjoys scenes where he is allowed to just sort of breathe and be now, and uh, i think that translates into the movies that he makes now grand trainer was 2008 yeah okay so one of my favorite movies of that year okay um although i think i'm again in the minority here uh but it was literally in my top 10 uh was appaloosa oh that's which, right yes um directed by ed harris and now i never saw pollock which was his directorial directorial I did, debut yes was it good uh, it's another thing of what I'm talking about, made a little bit better by the, by two central performances, mm-hmm. uh, him and Marsha Gay Harden. She went on to win the Oscar for that, uh, supporting actress. And, uh, but, but again, it's, and it's a biopic, so there's a little bit, it's a little right, bit different, right, right. but it's, it's that thing again, where it's just trying to capture, trying to capture like a person's personality or something like that. And in doing so not really feeling like anything. I like it a lot as a function of the performance, uh, but it just feels a little aimless. Whereas Appaloosa again, sophomore effort really seems to make like if, if an actor then moves on and makes a second film, that second film is probably (laughs) going to be solid. And I think, um, I'm glad I couldn't remember if you liked Appaloosa or not. I did. I liked it a lot. Um, and I think part of it, it, it reminds me of a Clint Eastwood film, not just because it's a Western directed by an actor, as mm-hmm. a number of Clint Eastwood's um, films are, uh, but also in, it has that same sense of not trying to wow you with some sort of any sort of tricks, but also not being in any way um, self-conscious about its um, lack of tricks. It's, yeah. it's a very confident film it's matter of fact is i guess mm-hmm. how i would how i would describe it but it's not just, in an unconsidered way it is very no. like, again it, yeah it's very kind maybe that's the word i should have used when we were talking about clint eastwood is confident yeah there's a way to the the style that, that you're talking about is kind of like a, a stripped down not necessarily minimalist but just and 
you could you could say like, well, they did that because they didn't know what else to do, or they knew they have a lot of options, and this was clearly the best one for mm-hmm. the story they were telling. And I think with Appaloosa and most of most, if not all, of what Clint Eastwood does, yeah. I think it's the latter. Uh, now, let, let's move on real quick to another actor turned director who has been a much more recent actor turned director, um, but I feel like has been compared to Clint Eastwood in a number uh, a number of ways, and that's Ben Affleck. Okay. Um, he's been compared to Clint Eastwood um, because he's an actor turned director right. who is very good, mm-hmm. um, uh, and maybe also because he has a uh, he's outspoken politically. <laughs> is he um, Ben Affleck? Yeah, I don't follow. Oh, oh yeah, very much. Oh, yeah. Huh. I, I've seen him on uh, not only real time, but he like does the like Sunday political like talk shows sometimes because oh. he has like. Uh, what are his views? Uh, he's, he's a, he's a Democrat. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's been, um, I don't know, talk from his camp, but there's different people who say that he should run for Senator from Massachusetts. Ah, um, keep making movies. <laughs> yeah. I want him. I don't know. Our, our, I, uh, I loved gone Baby gone. Didn't see the town. Argo was decent. I would say Did we already talk about Argo on the podcast. Or did we talk about it off the air? Uh, I think we talked about it off the air. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I would actually say, I mean, I think, I think he's, I think a better comparison is Mel Gibson. Hmm. I think he has, he's, he has such a strong, not merely visual style and editorial style. Like he's one of the better action directors, uh, working right now. I didn't see the town, which I guess is more of an action movie. Uh, action suspense yeah um i mean he, oh yeah well yeah i guess yeah he is in, in the sense that like so i just dropped my ring that's okay clint eastwood does what we were talking about focuses on character mm-hmm. m- more so than than story uh, would you say I'd he just does right. it better than most of the other examples we talked about but you're right the comparison between ben affleck and mel gibson is is um apt because they do both work in genre yeah uh, and and do so very well yeah they 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 I won't say they elevate the the genre, but they become they they work within the genre and then become like their movies are very good examples of those genres. I mean, yeah, I would I would say I mean Argo specifically doesn't elevate the thriller. You know, the way I talked about the movie it, White Tiger at the beginning. Of the of it luxuriates the, in it to a certain extent. Uh, but I think well, I'll get to, I, I talk about White Tiger being very much a genre film okay. that um, I would definitely say not to look down on genre, but it does become much more than mm-hmm. that. Whereas I think. Argo becomes better the the more narrow its focus becomes. The more it becomes just a thriller, uh, it, it becomes better. And then and that's how you get to the best scene in the movie. I won't like this won't be a spoiler. You know, this is going to be a very vague thing. Only people who mm-hmm. know what I'm talking about will know. There's a there's a scene where Scoot McNary's character has to or, or decides to explain to someone the plot of the fake movie they're making. Mm-hmm. It's the best scene in the movie, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, it's uh, absolutely the jewel of the movie. The whole thing hinges on it metaphorically. And for it's me. been building to that scene. It is the but climactic the thing is, scene. It uh, builds to it in the way that, yes, what's going on around, like the reason he has to tell the story mm-hmm. is much, is um, very much built to in a genre way. And I'm talking, that we're yeah. talking about that it's, it's heightened, but the, I think, thematically the fact that he tells the story at that point yeah. means so much um but that's not built to that like you're not expecting the theme of the movie to reveal itself in that scene i don't think you're expecting the plot to come to a boil yeah and 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 because ben affleck has so effectively 
made a great thriller at that point. It just sort of comes naturally. And suddenly um, you're thinking about what this whole movie means, what the story, why he wanted to tell the story, what it, what it, what it means in a way that wasn't telegraphed and isn't hitting you over the head. It fits in the story. And again, I'm going to repeat myself specifically because he's made such an effective thriller first. And with the, te- he is, he is not though. He is uh, frequently a, a co-writer on his movies. Um, and that is not necessarily for the best because, um, you know, you watch the town. I think there are some problems with that script. I think there are some problems with the Argo script. Um, especially early on. Yeah. But as a director, he manages to transcend his own flaws as a writer. Um, to the point where, I mean, you watch, like, you watch Gone Baby Gone, The Town, and Argo, like, no one would watch those three movies, like, in a row and say, this is the work of a uh, bad director or, or just middle-of-the-road director. Like, this is a good director who is three for three from a directorial standpoint. And just, uh, and I don't know where it came from. I mean... I mean, who knows where, where any of this comes from? Like, there are some people who who are artists in one way, and they're able to adapt and become artists that are completely capable in this whole that it in a relate slightly related field, but it requires so much more. Um, no offense to people that are you know just actors. Uh, there's nothing wrong with what you do, but a director does more. Is that fair to say? Yeah, the director has more responsibilities. Okay, yeah. I just didn't want to make it... I just didn't want like, Which, uh, no, no, an actor notice, to be like, I do a lot. It's right. like, yes, you do a lot, but... No, notice I didn't say the director has more responsibility. Mm-hmm. He has more responsibilities. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And there's a... There's a like, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's not like the actor has... More, or necessarily has like more free time. Oh yeah, no. he still should. He or she still should be working. I guess mm-hmm. uh, you know at the same amount the director is. The director just has to have more things on his plate. I guess. And I do think that uh, I'm going out of my way not to offend actors. Yeah, we're all assholes anyway. <laughs> exactly. I know some of them. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you, um, guys. You only you only think you know Pat Healy. You do not. <laughs> um, it's a monster. <laughs> By the way. Yeah. Oh, I have no problem saying Pat Healy's a monster. <laughs> um, this reminds me of a st- It's not even a story, but just a, uh, wanted to impart that speaking of Gone Baby Gone, I was temping at a place that, and it was an office building, had a lot of movie related stuff, but it had a studio that um, where ADR was done. And so often um, actors would come in that have to check in and sign mm-hmm. in. And uh, I wouldn't usually know what movie it was, but I could just guess based on the time frame. So I think they were doing ADR for Gone Baby Gone and Casey Affleck came in. Mm-hmm. He's a very polite person. I could see that. And I really respect that. I think, I don't know, having been like a PA and seen the way that like, even the actors who aren't like assholes to, you know, PAs and mm-hmm. other sort of, lower rung people yeah a lot of them just tend to look through those people yeah and i guess you can't blame them that much they probably have other things in their mind or whatever but like casey affleck very friendly like you know looked me in the eye said good morning signed in just like a normal person would signing in at a desk again that's not a story at all but i just like i like to be able to say nice things about people that i whose work i also like yeah, John, uh, John Noble when he came and rented at the uh, uh-huh. Blockbuster uh, where I worked, nicest guy in the world, uh-huh. very friendly, with a surprising taste in film. <laughs> um, but uh, what was he renting? Double Jeopardy. 
Yeah. Like Ashley Judd thrillers. Yeah. Not not that they were both Ashley Judd thrillers, but when I say Ashley Judd thriller, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, that kind of that kind of thing. You know, movies like Twisted or uh, Taking Lives. That's the one that you and I. That's Angelina Jolie. But like, uh, yeah, wait, I didn't. That's the one I saw. Yeah, you and I. I didn't see Twisted. Did we watch Taking Lives together? Yes, we did, and that was not good. Yeah, not good. Moving on, Um, but uh, and I will actually uh, mention speaking of Angelina Jolie. I saw, now I don't remember the title, uh, land, In the Land of Blood and Honey, I believe. Yeah, something like that. Is it In the Land or just The Land? I think it's In the I Land. I think it's In the Land, I think yes. it's just that much more unwieldy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the Land of Blood and Honey. And that, uh, that's an ambitious film, and so good for her. And for the most part, she, uh, she pulls it off. But, uh, but she, you know what? Oddly enough, she pulls off the technical part so well. That the uh, storytelling aspect uh, doesn't work out so so well. Um, you can go and uh, <laughs> you can go and read my review of it if you want, and then feel free to scroll on down to the oh, comments yeah. and that read. Might a, be our most commented on post ever. Mm, no, the Mel Gibson episode. Mel also Gibson, has. Mel Gibson episode, and then the Mel Gibson post of uh, for best directors. Oh, that that's one. what I'm there's doing. a lot of debate going back and forth about that. But uh, but yeah, but I'll say this. The most fascinating comments come out of that uh, in the land of uh, Blood and Honey review because, you know, it's about the uh, Serb uh, and uh, Serbian-Croatian war. And uh, boy, oh boy, I don't know how people... I I get the impression that uh, people found my review and didn't care much about the film and certainly didn't care what I had to say about it. They just wanted to talk about this war. And so... uh, and they just, in whatever form they could find, uh, it was an odd turn of events. Um, so I'll bring up, uh, I'll bring up a couple others that I think are really, uh, wonderful. Um, yeah, maybe not wonderful, but, uh, notable, uh, Danny DeVito as a director. I like him a lot. Yeah, see, I, I, I think, like him as an actor, of course, but, uh, I think he does the opposite of Clint Eastwood. I think he's a little, um, too showy. You know, yes. Like, think uh, about Hoffa. Wait, do do you think he's too showy? Yes. Okay. Like it, it, in Hoffa, um, you know, there's the, I guess the film's present day. It's not the actual present day, but like mm-hmm. the 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 present day in the film, and then yeah. most of what you're seeing is told through flashback. Right. And every time it transitions between the times, it does so in some sort of clever way you know there's some sort of like you know kind of like you know um in in Lawrence arabia he lights the match and then it essentially turns into like the sun yeah. or, or whatever you know um there's something like that every single time it goes in and out of the time the time period and it begin it becomes like almost distracting where you're like it's like watching mr show <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah how are they gonna get how are they gonna get back yeah uh yeah, I guess there is stuff like that, but uh, especially, yeah, you know what? I'll give you that because that's not necessary for that movie. Yeah. Though, though, of course, it is written by David Mamet and thus has a kind of a crackling quality to it. That doesn't mean you have to do it like that. But, uh, but you know, there's stuff like uh, War of the Roses, which I enjoyed. There's stuff like um, he directed Matilda, which I that's loved. A good one. That is a good movie. Yeah. Um, and then a movie that you and I enjoy, but no one else seems to, which is Death to Smoochie. <laughs> Again, you and I enjoy, uh, I think, 
uh, you and I and other like comedy fans are like specifically equipped, I think, to enjoy really poorly made movies for their sense of humor. But I don't think Death to Smoochie is poorly made. Is the okay. thing I, I I I think it kind of is. I mostly like it for it's it. There's it's a very bizarre sense of humor. But I think it's I think it's I think the bizarreness of the sense of humor I think it permeates the way it was it was made. There's this manic, crazy ass quality to it. It's not dirty work. Dirty work is just sort it just sort of sits there. You know, yeah. it's it's almost non-directed. Do you know I watched some of just I haven't been watching like something on my DVR. Mm-hmm. And I hit stop to go to bed, and the TV was on HBO or whatever, and Dirty Work was on or yeah. Encore or something. Uh, and so I watched a little bit of it. Holds up, still. Oh, of course, so it does. funny to me. And there's a part I forgot because you and I always talk about Don Rickles scene where he's dressing down his. Yeah. And of course, there's the and everybody sucking sand. Yeah, there's the Kuwait. You, you would tear in tickets in Kuwait thing, which is the highlight. That's that's the sort of apex of that scene. Yeah. There's a thing though that I had forgotten about that I've been laughing about for like a week now. <laughs> okay. Um, which is so he's well first he's like making fun of Artie Lang and he's like talking to Artie Lang's stomach and he's like and he's like hello ice cream are you having fun in there yeah uh, and then Norman Donald starts laughing and so he turns to Norman Donald and starts making fun of him and he's like what are you laughing at and then he just like goes from being like the like yelling Don Rickles to just being quiet for a second and he says why don't you get a horse and go live in the mountains and don't bother anybody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't, uh, that's so fu- that, that scene, that, the whole movie is hilarious. That scene is worth it. Worth the price of admission. Yeah. He, he still, I was talking with, uh, Jen in, when we were on vacation, cause we were talking about, uh, various places we'd like to go. And we talked about going to, to Vegas and, uh, I believe he still plays Vegas, right? I don't know. I think he does. And, uh, He's getting up there. He's probably either going to retire or, I'm sorry to say it, die soon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really would like to go before before that happens. Yeah. Like it, it, he seems like someone that I would like to that I would enjoy live. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just the way he, you know, why don't you just stop bothering people? It's just, <laughs> you know, just so angry. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, and so de- death to Smoochie, I think to to get back to that, I think I think there is a just this really crazy, over the top quality that does seem to borrow from like the the insanity of Robin Williams' performance, the over earnestness of uh, of Edward Norton. Yeah, being um, being like overly pleasant, and earnest about like some really harsh things. <laughs> that song, my stepdad's not mean. He's just adjusting <laughs> like that's funny. And then it's this nice, pleasant song. And then there at the end, he looks right at the camera. He's like, but if you're, if your stepfather ever touches you, like he just <laughs> it, like, he, he's just like cut him all the slack. But if he, if he steps over the line at all, or you even think he does, <laughs> you bring the hammer down. <laughs> like it's just such a, it's such, and it's, it's, it shifts in tone like that, that I think really that are very specific to like Danny DeVito. And, and he just, he also just has a very dark sense of humor, yeah. uh, as a, as an actor and as a director. And so, um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know the last thing he directed, but uh, you know, it's worth noting that the first thing, the first feature he directed was Throw Mama from the Train, which is uh, which I never saw. Yeah, I, I I haven't seen it in I'm gonna say nineteen years. Uh, I remember liking it though. You know, and it, I, there's a dark sensibility right there. You mm-hmm. know, um, so uh, I'll move on and talk about maybe uh, you know just one yeah, or we two should others. Start, uh, think about wrapping up here. 
I think as far as debuts go, and then so here's one where first movie great, second movie who gives a shit. <laughs> uh, Tom Hanks. Okay. Okay. Debut that thing you do. One of the most, one of the like the most pleasant film going experiences I've ever had. You watch that movie. I've seen it many times at this point. Every time I'm just watching, just being like, ah, you know, everything's going to be all right. Yeah, it's a delightful movie. It, delightful. Yeah. And uh, now I did not see Larry Crown. Oh, right. No, I didn't do that either. But uh, I heard it was not very good. Mm-hmm. Same here. I was in the room when Jen was watching it. And so I, uh, but I was listening to headphones. I was working. And, uh, but occasionally I would take the headphones off to go, you know, walk into the kitchen, get something to eat, and I would overhear some things like, "Wow, this is <laughs> this is not good." And then afterwards, uh, I asked Jen, like, "What did you think?" She's like, "That was terrible. That was really awful." <laughs> and uh, and it just seems like a shame. I I wonder if perhaps there's too much time between the movies. I wonder if uh, if he'd ma- made a movie like three years after that thing you do, maybe he would have been more in practice. But uh, I don't know. I think maybe whatever he had as a director was in that first movie and then just went away. Well, one thing he had in that movie was songs by Adam Schlesinger. Yeah. um, Who also co-wrote the songs that Josie and the Pussycats do in the movie Josie and the Pussycats. Yes, as you mentioned constantly. I mentioned him constantly or just the movie constantly? If I say that thing you do, within, I'm going to say a minute, you're going to say Josie and the Pussycats because of this. Yeah, it doesn't a, bother me. It's you a have, funny movie. You have your cause for a while. We had Matthew Lillard. Now you have Josie. Well, you've yeah. had Josie and the Pussycats for a while. Yeah, you bring that up a lot, um, and that's fine. You know, hey, we've got we've all got our things. You know, I'm 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 Christian, and you like Josie and the Pussycats. There you go. Um, <laughs> not to demean either one. So um, now I will. You know what? I'll end on this because it's. It's one of my favorite things to talk about in film of all time. Uh, Night of the Hunter. So Yeah, we have to talk about Night of the Hunter. Charles Lawton. Okay. And this this is a whole other discussion that I think we might have had on air at one point. I think this came about when we were talking about... That's right. When we were talking about the... We were doing our best directors list. Okay. Charles Lawton only directed one movie. Mm-hmm. But it's that movie. Yeah. There are directors who made 12 movies <laughs> that aren't that good. Mm-hmm. You know? And, put uh, together. Put together. There, there are good directors. Like, okay, Ron Howard. Mm-hmm. Capable director, sometimes great. None of his movies yeah. are as good as Night of the Hunter. What's the best Ron Howard movie? Pa- uh, Apollo 13. Apollo 13. That's a good one. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think th- I have to think on it some more. That's that's my ins- that's that's my first instinct is to say that I like a lot of his movies, yeah. um, but I think thinking about that, but I think that one probably just from a just a, a technical standpoint, it's just such mm-hmm. a it's such a complete film, um, and it's just so the, somehow in a movie where I mean think about it, it could have absolutely been just sentimental and sappy as hell, and it isn't. Yeah. Like that's, yeah, that is a director with a, a firm control and it's Ron Howard, who I think can be a, not necessarily sentimental, but he can, yeah. he can steer into that skid from time to time. Or he does, he can do the Zemeckis thing we talked about at the top of the, uh, the episode yeah. where he makes things a little too movie ish, like Don yeah. Amici breakdancing in cocoon. 
hey, that got him an Oscar. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, well, it is notable at least that um, Ron Howard is at this point become someone that I don't even think of as an actor who directed. Right. Even though he absolutely was. Right. Same with Rob Reiner. You don't like. That's right. You yeah. don't think of it like that. Yeah. No oh, man. Like like maybe they, they're more they're maybe like directors who acted first. Like yeah, before and, they found out they were supposed to be directing. Yeah. And it's and it's you know, I mean it's worth noting that both of them started acting at a young age and I think just you know they came like they grew up in Hollywood in some way, shape, or form yeah. and then and then discovered who they were always going to be. And so you can't just start as a director. Um so uh but yeah, so Night of the Hunter, so one of the discussions is like, is he one of the best directors of all time? Mm-hmm. it's 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 impossible to know because he only wait he only made one movie but you you kind of feel like if he if he made that that's the movie he made if he made a second film would it be not that would it be just some forgettable whatever i feel like no i feel yeah. like you can't make that movie and then go on to make it might the next one might be an amazing failure uh-huh. but it's not going to be forgettable like he he would be like uh i don't know what it would be um and so uh and it and it does also just seem to have that quality of like a a lot of what we're talking about is when an actor directs you have the benefit of knowing who they were and the vibe they have before they start making movies and so you are able to compare the two and so um so charles lawton always had a very specific type of wit and weight to him and i don't say that because he was a bigger guy he just he just seemed to have there always seemed to be something going on behind his eyes in any performance that he gave and then you see night of the hunter and you realize oh what was going on was genius just absolute just brilliance yeah um and and totally that um the thing i keep coming back to um you know so much more than you expect from an act you know what i mean like um, yeah uh, the the film uh, uh obviously night of the hunter is the showcase for probably one of the most memorable film performances of all time right um but it's you're talking about peter graves yes peter as, graves. The, as the father in yes. the first scene um no um but uh but it is a you know rich visual movie and a movie that i i personally tend to think of visually first oh, i tend no to question. imagine yeah the way it looks before i imagine the the performances as great as they are yeah i think if i think of it as a the the way i describe the movie first is shimmering it's a shimmering movie uh visually it's just has that quality to it and yeah it does have like a really great performance but it's also that a performance that robert mitchum had never given before mm-hmm. and would never give before even when playing menacing characters like max katie in, in cape fear and so it's interesting that that even in the midst of you know even with a perf- a character that an actor could really sink his teeth into charles lawton still managed to get something completely otherworldly and something that actor could never do again um well would never do again and so um yeah it's just such a such an amazing such an amazing film and and it is one of those things where you know in in spot like mel gibson would go on to do 
Braveheart and Apocalypto and and various other mm-hmm. and George Clooney would make Good Night and Good Luck, which has such a strong visual sense. But this, I mean, this is like miles beyond any of those. Uh, it's just it just arrives as this fully formed thing that is completely separate from his being an actor. It makes you wonder because you know you and I talk about uh, George Clooney. Uh, he's got a lot of Soderberghisms in uh, Confessions of a yeah. Dangerous Mind because he he just you know he just worked with him and uh, but like well certainly Charles Lawton had wor- had not worked with anybody that could have given him that yeah yeah even if you took if, even if you took all the directors that he worked with you know and he worked with some great ones and combined them. That it would not have equaled that. Like it's just this other thing. It's like it it boggles my mind. That yeah, movie there, boggles my mind. There isn't you know we we compare Clint Eastwood to Ben Affleck or Ben Affleck to Mel Gibson. There's nothing to compare Charles Lawton's Night of the Hunter to. Yeah, it's, it's a singular film. Yeah, and it and it's it, it is it is it's a tragedy. He never made a second film, but it, somehow it also just seems perfect. Because then what you would do is you compare it to his you would compare his first film to his second film. Yeah. And somehow that cheapens everything. <laughs> it needs to not be compared. It needs to just be acknowledged, and that's all. Now, I saw you making a bunch of notes. What do just you got? Because I wanted to make sure there was stuff that um, um, we didn't leave off. There's mm-hmm. a couple of notable ones that I wanted to talk about. I wanted to real quick mention three more who might be in the Ron Howard, Rob Reiner category of people who are probably meant to direct all along. Yeah. Uh, Peter Berg. Okay, yeah. John Favreau. John Favreau, yeah. John Cassavetes. Yes, okay. Yeah, I'll give you that. I, I, I mean, part of the reason, part of the impetus of him becoming a director was that he wasn't comfortable with yeah. what he was, and part of that is because he was being cast in things that weren't uh, speaking to him, yeah. you know, because of because of the way he looked and everything. I guess, I guess because he was such a great actor and not, you know, not to imply that John Favreau wasn't or Rob Reiner wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. but because, you know, you get Peter him Berg, in, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Hey, he, he's okay. in some of the stuff that he does, but Do you know my little bit of uh, trivia that I like to talk about. Peter Berg's directorial debut is very bad things. And there's a part after Daniel sure Stern, uh, gets hit by a van mm-hmm. at they're in the hospital and, um, there's a cop trying to get their statements and Christian Slater is like yelling at the cop. He's like, I just wanted to like, no, what if my brother-in-law, whatever is okay. It's not his brother-in-law anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, and he like sort of derisively looks at the like officers, like uh, name badge or whatever. And says officer Randone uh, calls him that uh, officer Randone is Peter Berg's character's name from Copland. Huh? That's interesting. Um, yeah, anyway. All right. Anything more you wanted to say about Cassavetes? Uh, oh, just that, uh, I mean, you know, you see him in Rosemary's Baby. You see him in The Dirty Dozen. And so I'm, I'm excluding him from, like, his own movies, like in Husbands and stuff like that. Uh, you see him in that, and just, like, he, I mean, he was a, he definitely a strong screen presence and a really, and so, yes, I mean, I think of him first and foremost as a director, but he, I mean, he could have not directed a thing and still had, a strong, amazing career as an actor. Right. Um, whereas I think Rob Reiner, for example, and John Favreau, you know, and certainly Peter Berg, um, would have continued as actors and had, and certainly had their niche. Uh, but, uh, but I think, yes, they, they found what they were supposed to do. Now, let me, let me ask you this. 
still with Rob Reiner? Like, do we still agree <laughs> yeah. with that? Like, I, you know, he made Spinal Tap. He's got, yeah, he's got kind of a lifetime pass from making Spinal, Spinal Tap. Tap. Yeah, he's he's got a, a big, few good men, big three. Stand by me. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, Spinal Tap, and yeah. Um, now, uh, and also, so I was looking at the list and thinking about what we'd talked about so far, and realizing I don't know if this is like a specifically Hollywood phenomenon actors turning director but there are it seems like there's way more americans and canadians in your with your sarah polly's mm-hmm. than there are another and maybe i'm just ignorant as to like one aspect of their career or other you know maybe maybe some of my favorite maybe patrice leconte has been in uh <laughs> is, is starred in a billion romantic comedies that i just don't see but um I wanted to mention a couple of foreign actor directors one is roberto benini yeah uh but um the best one I could think of, my, probably my favorite uh, non-American actor-director is Takeshi Kitano. Okay. Um, who, uh, um, I'm trying to think, did, did you see, have you seen Battle Royale? Did you see that? I still haven't. Okay. He's, Once I get my new uh, TV tomorrow, it's a high priority because okay. it's on Netflix. Well, he's in that. He didn't direct that. Um, and he's amazing in it. But he also has directed a, like a billion films. He's like a, He's like a Woody Allen, except he mm-hmm. makes like bizarre movies, mm-hmm. um, and probably, almost certainly, his, his best, or at least my personal favorite of his movie movies, is called Fireworks, and he mm-hmm. is, um, and he is, he is the star and the director of it, and people should check that out. I remember uh, probably about this time, maybe even more than a year ago, I remember talking about Fireworks because I felt that people who liked Drive. Mm-hmm. and hadn't seen fireworks should probably check it out because it is a similarly similarly sort of quiet and deadpan deadpan film that occasionally erupts in shocking violence mm-hmm. uh and i think personally i think a better film than drive uh and so i just so, wanted to mention uh, okay. takashi beat katana that's his uh nickname beat. Oh. and so uh yeah that's it works out well that you actually uh, ended with a kind of a recommendation because i will go back to um oh and real quick i didn't mention uh Robert Duvall, he directed The Apostle, which I think is right. wonderful. We also didn't mention Robert Redford, who has made some good films and some bad ones. Yeah. And we didn't mention Warren Beatty, who made Bullworth. See, and he, he's somebody who I still I think I of as an actor first. I know people go to Reds, but Bullworth. That's the, that's the one that gets the Battleship Pretension stamp of approval. No question about it. Have you seen Reds? I never have. I have. It's like five and a half hours long, right? It is, man. It is... Uh, it's not bad... But it's just who cares, you know? Oh, Richard Attenborough. He's yeah. he's somebody. What he made Gandhi? Yeah, yeah. I and like Shadowlands. I like Shadowlands. I never saw that. I always wanted to watch that. Um, but uh, well, yeah. but yeah, and so like so you do you know you do run across stuff like this, and and it's interesting because you know Warren Beatty. Yes, he made Bullworth. He made Dick Tracy, uh-huh. which is a wonderful film. Um, you know, you're like. <laughs> Uh, people don't agree with you on that. What? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, and I, remember, I watched it all the time when I was a kid. Yeah. So I need to rewatch it because it does not have a good reputation, that movie. Uh, like, who says... Well, why, don't, why don't we go on? Go on. No, I think we're done. Uh, no, we're not done. But we're going to stop. Who doesn't like Dick Tracy? You know what? No, move on to someone else. Because I want to look it up, and I always have very, very slow connection when I'm in your apartment. Okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, so I, I feel like there are some actors that uh, that would go on to direct, 
but I think of them as actors absolutely first. And oddly enough, Richard Attenborough is one of them, you know, not the, and yes, partially because of Jurassic Park and uh, Miracle on 34th Street, the remake. He's wonderful in that. Oh, I think I saw but, that. Um, but yeah, and so, uh, so we, so you were, you were ending with a, uh, uh, recommendation and uh, I mentioned earlier I mentioned Home for the Holidays directed by Jodie Foster uh, that's a pretty good movie actually I was gonna ask you yeah um, what you thought of it I, I loved it when I was like in high school when I was first discovering film because it felt mm-hmm. like it feels different like there's something about it that's it feels a little bit different yeah and, and so I needed to revisit revisit it to see if uh, I think I think it absolutely benefits from a solid cast. You got Holly Hunter in there, Robert Downey Jr., Charles Dick, Dick Tracy, 64% on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, well, we'll get to that in a second. Um, the, uh, But yeah, Anne Bancroft uh, is in there and uh, Dylan McDermott. And so it's got a really great cast. Um, there are moments where, you know, it's one of those things where it's just like, hey, you know, families, what are you going to do? And has some, some of the... Uh, standard like silliness but it also has a very it has a specificity specifically uh with the relationships Mm -hmm. um that works really well um like for example holly hunter um oh claire danes is in as well Um, and she actually has um she's in it very briefly she's only in the uh, the sort of prologue i think or maybe she shows up again you've seen it more recently because i know your wife's a big fan of the film yeah we watch it every thanksgiving uh that's great and we watched it yeah, we took oh, okay. it with us and watched it on our computer. Um, but her her goodbye to Holly Hunter, she's like driving over the airport, is hilarious to me. Yeah, it's it's really yeah, it's just a just a really well put together film. Uh, but there's little things there. There are moments that are so extreme, so completely true. Um, for example, uh, Holly Hunter is going back home, and her younger brother no. Is there a younger brother or older brother? Oh, well. Her, You're the one who just watched I know, but now I forgot. Um, either way, her brother, played by Robert Downey Jr., who's kind of this uh, goofy, uh, strange guy who uh, the character is gay, and you get the impression that maybe he, at a young age, developed uh, this very extroverted personality and is joking about everything sort of as a way to kind of cope with growing up gay. and uh, Deflect, a, uh, maybe. Yeah. And so... Uh, but the, the, clearly, those two are the allies. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a scene where she is on the phone with... Uh, no, she's leaving a message on his machine and just saying, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this without you. I really wish you were there. And that sort of thing. Um, and then he does show up later on because he wants to support her. And invariably, and I don't know if this is true of you. I know it's true of me, of Jen, of almost everybody I know. When they go home for Christmas or when they go home for Thanksgiving or whatever it may be... there is the relative that it's just like okay this is the person that's it's the person that you glance at when somebody else has said something Hmm. you know um and uh i won't say who that is uh for me um because you know uh i don't want to offend anybody Uh and uh some relatives uh listen to this and so um but it is, but it is, uh, it is interesting. And at this point, uh, now more than anything, it's just Jen, which I guess works out well. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's it's Natalie when I'm. Yeah, and that's. I feel like that's as it should be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, but yeah, it's it's a movie that's absolutely worth your time. And there's some genuine laughs in there. And I mean, you could do a lot worse than 
a movie with Holly Hunter and Robert Downey Jr. and Anne Bancroft and Charles Durning. And Geraldine Chaplin is in it, too, by the way. So, anyway. All right. Um, okay, moving on. Well, I think it's time to wrap up. I want to yeah. mention... Oh, that's right. Uh, the, uh, those people are wrong. Uh, Dick Tracy I, I is to, great. I, I pull, okay, so um, here's who liked it. Okay. Um, just off the first page, because I'm getting no such slow loading. Uh, Owen Gleiberman from Entertainment Weekly. Nah, I don't like that. Vincent Canby, New York Times. Okay. Uh, Roger Ebert, Chicago Sun-Times. Yeah. Those are the only likes on the first page. Okay. Here's who didn't like it. Variety. Uh, though it looks ravishing, Warren Beatty's longtime pet project is a curiously remote, uninvolving film. Who gives a shit? Um, it looks, it looks, it's one of the most visually striking movies you will ever see okay. with, with, a, with a handful of really strong, relatable characters and one of the most amazing performances by Al Pacino you'll ever see. Okay. One of my personal favorite critics of all time, Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago Reader. This has an appealing two-dimensional comic book look, but lacks the vision to go with it, not to mention an interesting hero or a feeling for action. Uh, I'll give him the bit, the bit about the hero. All right. Peter Travers, who likes everything, doesn't. <laughs> for all its superficial pleasures, Dick Tracy ultimately flounders because it provides an audience with nothing to take home and dream about. Ugh. Um, I wouldn't even agree with that. Uh, that's all the ones I'm... Oh, Film 4 called it a waste of time and money, so that's funny. Uh, I, but, do, I yeah. do believe uh, Gene Siskel also really loved it. And he actually, and I think this is ill-advised, but uh, I think he, he like made major Oscar predictions for the movie, mm. like picture, director, like the whole thing. Uh, he thought it would get a lot more support than it did. So, by the way, 64% of critics, 44% of users. Those are regular people. Oh. They're the ones who are usually wrong about stuff. They're not like our listeners, who I'm thankful for. Right. Hey, listeners. They're they're Uh, cut above. No, our listeners are several cuts above the Rotten Tomato users. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd be more interested in Metacritic, to be honest with you. I find find Metacritic to be more dependable. Yeah? Um, I I tend to like what they do more. Okay. Um, But uh, but anyway, um, yeah, listeners, uh, comment on this... uh, on this episode and let me know what you think of dick tracy specifically if you like dick tracy comment if you don't shut up i also um before we wrap up we mentioned kevin costner and didn't mention the postman which is a movie (laughs) worth talking about because it's so insane yeah but why would we why would we talk about that without the uh, monstrous pat healy (laughs) yeah we should have pat healy back just to talk about the postman again because yes because it's insane yeah um if you haven't seen it uh, see it, and then, again, leave, leave a comment on this episode um, cursing me to hell for encouraging you to watch The Postman. I've never I've never seen it. I know that yeah. it does feature uh, Will Patton as mm-hmm. the villain, and and Tom Petty is in Tom it, right? Tom Petty as himself. That I didn't know. Well, what? Um, it's obviously, it's a post-apocalyptic world. Okay. Um, Tom Petty plays essentially like a version of like a ferryman, only, only he's got like a balloon. He like escorts people like across a chasm like a valley or something with a balloon and so kevin costner and the other characters or whatever they had to get away so they're like going to like pay the ferryman who's going to take them across um in in the balloon or whatever pardon me if i'm getting this wrong it's been a while um and it's tom petty and kevin costner says are you and he's like yeah the hell (laughs) when is this supposed to take place i guess in the near future i guess so i guess civilization has collapsed and tom petty has bought himself a balloon (laughs) or like i don't know he's found an alternate way of 
making a living. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Well, now I gotta see this movie. Yeah, that sounds uh, kind of wonderful. Yeah, and also like I don't know how to like. I don't want to say this right, but there is. Um, casting in Postman of um, kids with Down syndrome that okay. is just very bizarrely used. It doesn't. It it it. it I, I can't tell if it's just like Kevin Costner being egalitarian and saying this was a role that already existed, and then he just cast an actor with Down syndrome. Yeah. Or what it feels more like is that for some reason this role is specifically intended for someone with down syndrome and it doesn't make sense that it there's doesn't seem to be any reason for for it it's i don't know if i'm but being it, insensitive it, that, i think to someone who hasn't seen the film it probably sounds like i'm being insensitive but if you watch the scene when i'm what that i'm talking about then you will know what i'm talking about it's a very it has a very bizarre feel to it well let me let me ask you this i, I wouldn't i haven't seen it and i i doesn't i wouldn't say it sounds like you're being insensitive but at the same time like isn't that like in theory isn't that like a good thing that 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 the, it's it's not unlike we've talked about this in the past like casting a little person mm-hmm. in a role that is not all about the fact that they're a little person yeah you know uh casting you know somebody with with down center like okay this is going to sound a little strange um i live half a block like a, a quarter block away from a home that uh i don't know like i i don't exactly know exactly what it is it, it doesn't these people don't live there but it's basically this community of people with down syndrome mm. and so uh you know you'll see them walking down the street uh together in a group and and they are they have in various capacities of what they are able to do and how they're able to communicate. But then there's, you know, I, some of them are incredibly friendly and they can talk and they can, they're basically just like you and me. And so, uh, so I'm very aware that there are people with down syndrome that are able to do any number of things. And so isn't it possible that this character could Let me explain the scene? Okay, please do. Because it's not actually a very big roll okay basically by the way everybody uh yes i think you can officially put that thing on your bingo on your bingo card about david trying to wrap up the episode and it has not succeeded yeah but i'm the one who's getting my own way this time okay um kevin costner's trying to steal a horse or something um from like a camp in the middle of the day where the person who would catch him has his back turned or something Mm -hmm. it's like he's sneaking around to steal a horse and then he has to keep this kid with down syndrome from giving away his position so i can't tell because it's not a great film i can't tell if it's supposed to be like is there a greater threat that he's going to give away his position because he has down syndrome yeah because like uh hmm because the scene could still read if it was just a kid yeah yeah and so now but is it is are you meant to without saying anything are you meant to be like not only is it a kid. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm getting Okay, at. I see what you mean. Yes. Yeah, that's a little iffy. I'm yeah. not, that's, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I, like I want to give Costner the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I think so. But I think, I think he's, um, I'm not going to like cast aspersions. Yeah. But I think Kevin Costner's probably a weirdo. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to say he's a bad person or anything. Mm. But I'll bet he's a bizarre guy to spend time with. Mm. You don't think so? 
I, I could see him being like incredibly down to earth or I don't see that or an egotistical weirdo. You haven't seen the postman. No, I have no one down to earth made the postman. <laughs> That's true. Um, but, uh, I do know somebody who, I mean, Jen knows somebody who I believe shot his wedding uh, and yeah. he was apparently a very nice down to earth guy. Hmm. And the wedding was also not, you know, a major fiasco like, uh, like Waterworld. I know someone, not well, okay. um, it, like to the point where it would be weird if I like called her or something, okay. but I do know someone like a work acquaintance whose dad was in a band with Kevin Costner. Oh really? <laughs> like not like as kids, like post fame Kevin Costner. Of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And by the way, there's a way to, uh, to wrap this up, but I, but I don't remember the name of this movie that, do, that I, I don't know if it, I don't think it's ever officially been released. But Crispin Glover's film that oh, has an, has a, a, a cast uh, that's like everybody in the cast has Down syndrome, correct? Yeah. Um, uh, what? Didn't he make two films? With a, I, I only know of one. It's called like What Is or something. Oh, is, yes, yes. Okay. Now I don't remember. Because then I know was. he also has a film that has one of my favorite titles of all time. Okay. Which is It Is Fine, Everything Is Fine. <laughs> I think that's an amazing title, but that's not the one you're thinking of. It's the that's, other one. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I can't remember. It's what something. All right. Well, I'm going to start doing that. You look it up. I'm going to do yeah, the, yeah. Uh, um, thanks for listening again. Thanks for listening for five and a half years and, um, and visiting the website, which you should continue to do. Uh, that's at battleshippretension.com. You can read my, my review of White Tiger there. Um, and all sorts of other reviews from uh, from Tyler and I, Tyler and me and our, uh, all our other contributors, many of which have appeared on the show. Again, that's at battleshippretension.com. You can email us, david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow me on Twitter at The Pretension. Follow Tyler on Twitter at More Lessons. That's the uh, official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson. That's at morethanonelesson.com. And you can find my other podcast, the occasionally updated uh, television review show, Previously On. That's at previouslyonshow.com. So, um... And... Well, uh, it it's taking forever, uh, so I apologize. I'm I'm getting it only now. Are we just going to kill time until? Well, you can talk about the fact that you actually are starting to record episodes again. I don't know that I did record another episode. Yes, um, still not up on our website. Uh, it's part of the fleet. Yeah, I, I put know. the fleet I'm, tag I'm at the end. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, I did. I did one more episode, but then I took Thanksgiving weekend off. Hopefully, this coming weekend, if I can get caught up on tv which i'm pretty close to being caught up i gotta go home and watch nashville um mm-hmm. not the movie nashville yeah. the uh kelly cory created uh television series nashville starring connie Britton and hayden panettiere mm-hmm. i'm just marking time until you have a <laughs> yeah it's not it's uh it says loading it's not gonna it's not gonna go so uh i guess we'll just uh, leave that as a mystery um i'm sure the listeners know i, I swear the name what is in it yeah the i word think what. so um Anyway, but um, and then uh, there is a new episode of More Than One Lesson, in which Josh and I talk about uh, Spike Jones, uh, where the wild things are. Awesome. So, so uh, thank you all for listening, and we'll get you next time. Bye, bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.